Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk about drought proofing your crop. Now, I'll say this. Should have been talking about this a few months (laughs) ago, Brian. Right. We should have been talking about this uh, last fall. But anyway, uh, we do want to talk just a little bit about what we see for differences in fields that are doing better in drought versus fields that aren't doing so well and just things that you might want to be thinking about as we move forward here in the future. Um, This isn't the first drought year we've seen in the Midwest and it certainly won't be the last but you know we just can't predict from year to year and that's why it's important to do practices that can help you prepare for the extremes yet not have you suffer when you don't have the extremes. So we're going to go through that a little bit today. If you've got any questions for us, you can call us here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. All right. Um, I'll tell you what, Darren, do you think we should get to the Ag PhD mailbag? It looks like we got a lot of questions over there. Yeah, let's let's do it right now. We'll talk about drought proofing in just a, just a few minutes. It's the mailbag. All right. First one comes from Leanne, who says, I'm wondering, I I caught some of your talk about growing degree days, and you said you had over 2,000 growing degree days for a certain hybrid to to mature, yet there's only 365 days in a year. So obviously, (laughs) I wasn't paying close enough attention. How does the whole growing degree day thing work? Yeah, it's based on heat. And the lowest low temperature you can have is 50 degrees. The highest high temperature you can have is 86 degrees when we're figuring corn growing degree units. Now that's not to say that corn couldn't grow when it's 48 or it couldn't grow when it's 88 degrees, but we use 50 for low and 86 for the high. Those are just the established numbers that are out there. And basically what you do is you take your high temperature for any given day plus your low temperature for that day Divide that number by 2 and subtract 50. And that will tell you how many growing degree units or growing degree days you had that day. And by the way, if your high is higher than 86, you just substitute 86, use 86 instead. And if your low is below 50, you always use 50 as the minimum if your actual low temperature was below 50. So anyway, there are plenty of uh, there's plenty more information on growing degree units and growing degree days out there. But yeah, that's just the real quick and simple how to do it. Okay. Uh, thank you for the for the question. This one comes from Adam, and he's in South Dakota. Adam says, will deep roots in a corn plant find moisture deep in low fertility layers, pull yep. moisture in, and allow the plant to use mass flow to bring nutrients in through the roots that are in the four-inch range where the fertility is, or do the moisture and nutrients have to be in the exact same place? Moisture and nutrients need to be in the same place for the most part. So if you have no, absolutely no moisture in the top four inches and all your fertility was in the top four inches, is it possible that you're going to get a little bit of that fertility in? Yes, it's possible. The, the roots are going to run into it somehow as they continue to explore out. But the odds that they're going to get very much in, really, really slim. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, get this one from Matt in Iowa. He said, we're really struggling with our non-GMO soybean chemical program. Our pH is in good shape. We're in the 6.4 to 7 range. We've got 3 to 4.5% organic matter, lots of manure for fertility. 
But this is added to our weed issue. We put down trifluralin in front of a tillage pass. Then we put on some Zidua Pro. And almost like we didn't spray it all four, four weeks later, uh, we've got water hemp and pigweeds just thick. So wondering, could it be that we use generic products? Would they be any less effective? Or are there some other things we could do for our non-GMO program to, Wait, to pick up our whoa, whoa. Well, what ge- he, uh But what generic products Tri- is he talking trifluralin. about? Trifluralin. Oh, no, the trifluralin is fine. Uh, so the Zidua Pro is the problem. And the reason why is because you're not you're not after your target weeds. What tell me the weeds again? Well, big surprise here. It's water, water hemp. hemp and pigweed. Okay, so water hemp and pigweed are the same thing. Uh, could I mean water hemp is a kind of pigweed, I should say. Uh, but yeah, when we take a look at Zidua Pro, here's why you've got the problem. Uh, Zidua is a group 15. That's going to give you. And and by the way, group 15s at the full rate are not bad on water hemp. I would say Zidua at a full rate and Harness at a full rate are probably 80% on water hemp. So it's not bad. But the problem is whenever you're using any of these combination things and you're using it in soybeans, you're using a cut rate. So I'd expect 30% control there. With Pursuit I, uh, that's in there, I'd expect 0% control because it's ALS. And with the Sharpen, after mm, a couple weeks, I'd expect 0% control. So you got 30 plus 0 plus 0 gives you 30% control, and that's probably what you got. Now with trifluralin, that on its own, depending on the rate you used, and I'm guessing you used a pint and a half. We usually talk a pint and a half instead of two pints, and the reason why is carryover. Well, at the two-pint rate, trifluralin's not too bad. You could probably get, I'd say, 60% control on your water hemp, but at a pint and a half, you're probably going to be down in that 30 40%, something like that. So you end up with two products that are fairly similar, Zidua and Trifluralin, each trying to give you 30 to 40% control. That's why we've got an issue. So here, here's what you need to do next year. Uh, put Trifluralin out. That that part's great. Put Metribuzin with it, and then put either Authority or Valor along with that. When you do that, you'll now get 95% control on your water hemp. And by the way, I'd use at least a pint and a half of Trifluralin. Uh, I'd use a third of a pound of Metribuzin as long as your pH is below 7.4, and I would use the full rate of either Authority or Valor at that point. So like Valor, for example, we talk two to preferably three ounces per acre. So if you do that, you got 95%. Then you follow early post-emerge with something like either Anthem Max or Warrant Ultra. Either way, you're going to get a Group 15 and you're going to get a PPO. You do that, and that will put you up over 99%, probably 99.9% control on your water hemp. You should be in great shape. All right, thanks for the questions. We got a a question from Mark or a comment from Mark as well. Loved your piece on keeping combines clean to avoid fire prevention. You're helping us be more productive, profitable, and also safer. Hey, thanks for the comment, Mark. We'll be right back after this. You work for results. That's why the Enlist weed control system gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. 
a tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide, or Daikon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. Join us for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We're putting on a full day that you won't want to miss. Yield champs will share about raising yields and profits. Industry experts will discuss drainage law, estate planning, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you dozens of research plots and have equipment running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day. Register now at agphd.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. I'm broadcasting from the Morton studio, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us as well, radio at agphd.com. I was just looking at some plant tissue analysis results uh, for a question we're going to get to in the Ag PhD mailbag later on. But let's start off this segment jumping on the phone lines here. We've got Lee with us in Western Kentucky. Lee, thanks for calling in. What can we do for you? I have a question here. I was meeting with my agronomist yesterday, and uh, I've got a couple center pivots that I'm trying to raise 300 bushel corn on. Awesome. I put down 120 pounds of NH3 pre-plant. I put three ton of chicken litter with a 50-50-50 analysis the day before I planted and worked it in. I put 250 pounds of potash and 200 pounds of dap in the fall. Okay. And just on no-till ground. Yep. And is this high-testing ground to start with? Is it pretty fertile ground or or was it? Yes. Uh, okay. You've been farming it for yes, a while? It's good. Yes, I own it. Yeah. It's in good shape. It's in good shape. I've had 260 bushel corn there before, but I was wanting to try to stretch it to 300 sure sure well i'm glad so, you did this in the fall too because fertilizer was a lot cheaper then than it is right now well it was it was and i hope it was more readily available so then when the corn got about knee high i come back with a hundred units of treated with stabilizer treated urea so as you can see i've got a lot of nutrients there you bet now my agronomist is telling me that when the we're tasseling and fixing the fly on fungicide and he is trying to sell me some foliar nitrogen and his and i questioned him because i said look man i've done throw the checkbook at this thing and <laughs> the corn <Yep>. is <laughs> the corn is black from head to toe and we're we're in really good growing conditions and 
he said, yeah, but when the plant starts silking, it shuts, the roots are not going to bring in any more nutrients, and it's going to grow for what's in the plant. That's not true. And I questioned that because <laughs> yeah. I do not believe that. No, no, that's not true. Um, okay. But okay. Uh, so here's my here's my question for you with this more nitrogen thing. Have you pulled any pre-cidrus nitrate tests? It's like a five dollar yes, test. Have. And what did they say? Yes, we have. It showed it in the adequate range. Well, how many pounds do you know? Do you remember? No, I don't know that. Okay. We, All I right. looked at it, but I don't have it in front of me. Okay. But, well, you know, we're trying to push to three hundred bushels. So exactly. That's why when it says adequate, is that adequate for 300 bushels or is that just adequate? <laughs> you know what I mean? No, that's, we, we, we put, on a year ago, we used 300. Okay, okay. But uh, all I'm after is I like knowing how many pounds it actually is. So like on our farm, for example, we okay. had 250 to 300 pounds available when we were out pre nitrate testing when the corn was about knee high. And so I felt really, really good because we have high organic matter. We're going to get free release of nitrogen. We didn't have to side dress anything as it turned out. And I thought we were going to have to side dress probably, I don't know, 30% of our fields. So if I, if I knew how many pounds you had, then I could tell you a little bit better. We know that in total with, with, uh, nitrogen needs for that crop, um, a 300 bushel corn crop is going to take roughly 360 pounds of total nitrogen. It's got to get it from somewhere. And so when you get to tassel, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, it's roughly a third of the nitrogen still has to get pulled into that plant. And it will get pulled in uh, through the root system. So it's not going to rob it all from other places in the plant or anything like that. But anyway, so it's possible that this nitrogen deal might work for you. And, you know, if I'll put it to you this way. If this is, if you're working with somebody who you kind of trust and you say, you know, maybe I'll give this a shot, I'd probably only try it on a few acres because it sounds like to me you're in pretty good shape for nitrogen. But uh, when I when I add things up here, I also go, you know, okay, you started with, you put on 120, you added another 50, so that's 170. You put on another 100, so now you're at 270. And then we got to figure any carry in, in, carry in nitrogen and any nitrogen getting released from your soil's organic matter. How high are your organic matter levels? They 3%, 4%? How much? Probably two and a half. Okay. Two and a half. Okay. So let's yeah. just let's just say they're two and a half. I would only figure you're going to get fifty pounds of nitrogen out of that, maybe seventy. So you know, okay. you, 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 I, what I'm trying to say here is, yes, you probably are adequate, but do you have twenty extra pounds or fifty extra pounds? I don't see it. So it's possible. Um, you know, when you talk about, oh, it's a high fertility field and maybe you had a bunch more carry in nitrogen than I, I think you did. Uh, so I, it wouldn't surprise me if this foliar N works, but I, I, I doubt that I do it on everything. Maybe just do some strips or do something out there and, and see what you think. I, okay. It's a 10 10 analysis and he was wanting to do two gallons Sure, and I think it was 13 bucks. So it's yeah. not like it's a big, you know, but and as far as my total in, now that, I, on the chicken litter, 
the analysis was 50, 50, 50 right. on average. Yep. And I, that's per ton and I put three tons. Oh, sorry. So, yep. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I didn't know so if I've you were talking. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. So yep. then you're definitely in good shape. Yeah. I didn't know if you were telling me yeah. that was your total yeah. or that was per ton. Okay. So if you're no, telling me that's that per ton, then yeah, then, then you're, yeah. you, you should really be in good shape. So if I was going to do any, okay. I'd only do just a little bit, see if it pays. I don't think it's probably going to, but by the same token, we got a good corn price. You got a good crop coming, so you know, and you never know. Yeah. Your your goal is yeah. three hundred. You might end up with some spots of three twenty. Who knows? Hopefully, you do. Right. Well, <laughs> okay. Well, I appreciate that. Well, you've answered my the main question that I was stumped on was that when it started silking, that it quit pulling nutrients in from the no. roots, and I just nope. didn't buy that. Nope. So. That's not okay, true. What, but you. but I will say, and maybe what he had said in a roundabout way, and what he where he was going is the root size won't increase at silking, and that part is true. The root size has reached its maximum, yeah. so that I that is true. But yes, it will continue pulling nutrients in for a long time yet. All right, hey, uh, thanks for the call, Lee. Appreciate it. Thank Good luck you. down there. Yep. Appreciate it. Yep. Bye bye. Well, we're talking today about drought-proofing crop and just got a couple of minutes here yet to talk to Charlie White with Penn State before we get to our next break. Charlie ran a little bit long there with, with some of the questions that we had. But, you know, when you think about it, nutrients do play a big role in this drought-proofing a crop as well. So not not a bad part of the discussion, not too far off pace. How you doing, Charlie? Good, good. Yeah, I really enjoyed listening to the conversation. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Okay, so Pennsylvania drought may be different than Kentucky drought or South Dakota drought. What are some of the things you start talking about there in, in Pennsylvania when you, when you think about dry weather? Yeah, sure. Well, as a soil fertility person, the first nutrient that comes to my mind is probably potassium, and that's because of the role that potassium plays in the water relations inside the plant. It really helps the plant regulate water within the cell walls and inside the cells and help the roots take up water and move that water around to where the plant needs it. Um, so certainly keep making sure your potassium levels are built up into the optimum range uh, before you start is, is, is a good one. Um, you know, we talk about, talk about potassium there, Charlie, and I think about soybeans that need so much potassium late in the year that they're trying to pull it in so fast. And oftentimes we're hot and we're dry. And you're right, it can get really limiting. And where we've got fields, I know on our own farm, where our potassium levels are high, those are typically our best soybean fields. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We had a, a field, this isn't in soybeans, but last year we had a, a fairly moderate to somewhat severe drought in central Pennsylvania. And we had a cornfield that was low in potassium going into the year. And we weren't sure whether we could rescue it, but we did put out different timings in a little experiment. Um, timings at you know weekly intervals up till silking and actually saw about a 15 yield uh, a 15 bushel yield increase um, even with uh, an application at silking so I think wow. you know that was in corn but I, I think for soybeans too if you are mid-season and it's a dry year and you feel like you're starting to see maybe some deficiency symptoms it's not too late as long as you can get something in yeah, and getting it getting it in there late is the challenge Charlie hang with us a second we want to talk a little bit more stay tuned we'll be right back Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. 
Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucinto fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. When it comes to soybean diseases, the longer you wait, the more damage you do. Stop the clock on white mold and other yield-robbing diseases with Approach Prima Fungicide from Corteva AgriScience. Approach Prima Fungicide quickly surrounds the surface of the plant for rapid absorption, then moves throughout the plant, providing full protection of each leaf and stem, even those that have yet to emerge. Uptake occurs on day one, nearly twice as fast as the next leading competitor. For more information, visit approachprima.corteva.us or your local crop protection retailer. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about drought proofing your crop. Man, what a great year to be talking about that. It's been dry for a lot of farmers. Now, not all over the place, but and you never know when it's going to happen either. But there are certainly areas that are dry, and maybe even on your farm that's got plenty of moisture, you say, you know, there are these couple of fields that I got that man, they always suffer. They just never have enough moisture. So it's an important topic. We're talking with Charlie White with Penn State, and he was just talking about potassium before the break and talking about how important that is late season in crops. And we were just getting into soybeans just a little bit. And Charlie, another one that goes hand in hand, I think, is zinc. We get so many farmers asking us about zinc and its role regulating water in the plant and so forth. Talk to us about zinc a little bit, because I know that's one that, that quite a few farmers that we talk to focus on. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, and you know, one of the things about zinc availability is it's really um, tightly tied to soil pH, and so different regions of the country 
you know, have soils that tend to run at different pHs if you're more, you know, uh, Midwestern or Western soils that tend to be on the drier side, the pH is going to rise up, um, you know, above 7.0, and uh, that's going to start to reduce your zinc availability from the natural soil minerals. And, and that's probably a scenario where you might want to think about some type of zinc uh, fertilizer, um, you know, somewhere in your program. Um, other regions of the country where you know, it tends to be wetter climate, more humid climates. Certainly, you know, east of the Mississippi, most of those soils are going to run a little bit acidic, um, uh, less of an issue in terms of zinc. Certainly in, in Pennsylvania, zinc is something that we usually don't have to uh, to fertilize with. It's, it's usually available in um, optimal quantities without necessarily needing any management. So I think you really need to take a regional perspective there and, and do what's right for your for your region. We had a question that came in in our first segment of the show just talking about how the roots were deep and there was some moisture down deep, but so many of the nutrients were up in the top few inches of soil. That can be a real challenge. Do you, do you see that issue in Pennsylvania as well? Oh, certainly, certainly, for sure. And that's that issue is going to get um, worse uh, the longer and longer you are in no-till, uh, because with no-till, we're usually applying nutrients on the surface, whether that's fertilizer or whether that's manure going to be on the soil surface and things like uh, phosphorus and even some of the cations, you know, they're going to be bound up to the soil right where it's uh, applied and not necessarily move down. Um, the other one I, I sometimes think about too is, is nitrogen. And uh, we actually had last year when we had a drought, we had an interesting experience where our uh, treatments that we applied, most of the nitrogen closer to planting did better than when we side dressed. And that's because I think applying them closer to planting, some of the, the rains we got after planting helped that nitrogen soak down a little bit deeper into the soil uh, where it was more available later into the season as opposed to when we side dressed. It actually almost didn't rain at all uh, after side dressing, and it, there was a hard time to get that nitrogen soaked into the soil and, and move to the roots with lack of water there. Yeah, we've run into that challenge, too, that when it gets dry, it's tough to get those in-season nitrogen applications to really show their full benefit. And, you know, we were just talking with Lee in Kentucky just before you came on, and and what was Lee focused on trying to get to 300 bushel corn? It's nitrogen, nitrogen, nitrogen. Hey, what about the end? It sounded like you had plenty of that out there, but it's always a good idea to do some testing, too. Uh, talking with Charlie yeah. White here with Penn State. Any last comments you got, Charlie? We really appreciate having you on today. Sure. Well, the one last thing that was interesting from last year on the nitrogen side is, um, you know, sometimes if you're in a drought and you think you are going to have a lower than expected crop yield, you might fertilize a little bit less nitrogen. But we actually saw that in our drought last year, we needed the same amount of nitrogen still. And it was it was a little bit difficult to watch us, you know, sp spreading 200 pounds of nitrogen to only go from, say, 100 bushel corn to 130 bushel corn, but that's what it took. Um, and so I'd say, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, if you do want to get every last bushel in a drought, you still should fertilize uh, according to your normal program. Yeah, that is that is a good one to close on. That's a, a really interesting thought, too, because I, I would say most farmers would go with kind of the same premise you had of, oh, man, I'm getting less yield. I should be able to cut back. But by the same token, not not all of that fertilizer is necessarily available, too. Uh, talking with Charlie White right. here with Penn State. Great stuff, Charlie. Really appreciate it. We'll have to have you back again sometime. Okay, thank you. I'd love to. Let's head up to... Wisconsin. We've got Matt Ruark with us right now at the University of Wisconsin. Matt, thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. 
All right. Uh, one of the comments that Charlie made just talking about no-till and nutrient stratification, and, and I didn't get to follow up with him on this, so I'll ask you this question. What about cover crops? Do you see them as effective tools for, for helping with nutrient stratification, or do they not make much difference with that? Well, so, you know, the trick with, uh, with that issue is how deep you know, your cover crops get. So how big your cover crops get. So if they're, if your cover crops are going deep and, and, uh, getting into those sub horizons and bringing up nutrients, they can redistribute some nutrients and actually increase some nutrient availabilities, you know, potentially at the, at the soil surface. Um, but that's sort of just, um, you know, making some, you know, some extra, uh, things like phosphorus, uh, a little bit more available perhaps, but in terms of helping alleviate stratification, uh, probably not as much. Would this be something, too, I know we'll, we'll hear talk a lot about 60 days. If you can get a cover crop to grow for 60 days, you start maximizing some of these benefits. And I know there's some farmers that say, well, I don't have 60 days. I just have 30, but I just want to get something growing out there. I can see in 30 days you probably wouldn't get super deep roots, but 60 days, I bet the roots could get deep if you pick the right covers. Right. You know, so like here in Wisconsin, following a, a corn silage harvest, uh, you'll get 60 days, you know, you can get 60 days of growth. And, and that seems to be the biggest thing, especially even going between something that uh, wouldn't winter kill, uh, like winter rye, that survive the winters compared to something like oats or spring barley, that, you know, we see a depletion of, of nitrate and maybe even a little bit of water in that second foot of soil, just letting those crops grow into the uh, into the winter. So yeah, there's, if you can get a month in the fall and a month in the spring, that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of growth. Yeah, it sure could be. Okay. I I don't want to just stick you on cover crops only. When you think about this topic of drought proofing your crop, where do you start in the state of Wisconsin? Well, actually, you know, cover crops is a, is a good angle on this, you know, um, the, you know, the use of cover crops, especially in something like, uh, in our dairy production systems where, we're, we're, we're harvesting that entire corn plant for silage, getting cover crops back on the landscape, get some erosion control, um, help add some more carbon back to the soil, help maintain that soil structure is going to be a, a huge benefit over the long term to, to helping our soils hold on to, hold on to water. Um, so so that's, that's, that's actually a pretty big one. And on our sandier soils, having cover crops and having that extra crop residue on that soil surface can help, um, help actually uh, keep... Uh, evaporation a little bit lower and keep some some moisture on those sandier or uh, lighter textured soils. Interesting. Yeah, I think about reducing evaporation a lot, and a lot of times we'll be talking about crop canopy. If we can get a good crop canopy established earlier, whether that's with narrower rows or varying plant population, mm-hmm. whatnot, that that can certainly help us as well. Yeah, and the only drawback that we've seen, you know, just some from these early try, you know, from the trials of spring. You know, the side-by-side comparisons, cover crops do take up water, too. So going into into a year like this, you know, uh, if the cover crops were a little bit, you know, got on the big side or everyone, if yep. you were a little yep. late in getting the cover crops terminated, uh, you know, the corn was looking a little bit uh, shorter in those cover crop uh, plots. We'll see how that translates into yield at the end of the year, though. Well, I know out, out here in the Dakotas, that's that's the talk that a lot of farmers have. Is I, I love the cover crop, but i got to make sure I terminate it timely or or I could get into that excess water draw. And so for a lot of guys, they'll, after a wheat harvest or something like that, they've had quite a bit of growth. They'll try and get it done in the fall. But I know what you mean. There's quite a few guys that like to let her grow into the spring. Yeah, and I mean, and that's such the 
that's the big challenge with cover crops, right? Because they do what we want. We want them to grow. We want them to provide that soil coverage, get some more roots in the ground, you know, all, all those benefits. But cover crops are still a plant, right? It takes up water, takes up nutrients. So we want it to grow. We want to maximize that soil coverage, but we don't. But we want to minimize the the water and nutrient uptake. Yeah, it's a great angle on drought proofing your crop, utilizing cover crops, and how and when you you would terminate them. We're talking with Matt Ruark with University of Wisconsin. Matt, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you. We'll get more into drought proofing your crop. We'll also dive into the Ag PhD mailbag. Got a lot left here to go on the Ag PhD radio program. Stay tuned. Do you need to replant soybeans due to cold temperatures, heavy rains, or another weather event? Weeds don't seem to care, and you have limited options for last-minute weed control. This is when you turn to Spitfire herbicide from New Farm. Unlike other Phenoxy herbicides, Spitfire can be applied up to seven days before planting. Fields treated with the dual active power of Spitfire will benefit from weed control that will ease planting and help your beans establish a good stand. Spitfire from New Farm, here to help. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice, with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states.
You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today, talking about drought proofing your crop here in the Morton studio and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844 44 Ag PhD. It's head out to Maryland. We got John on with us next. John, how you doing? How you doing today? You know, pretty good. You guys experiencing any drought this year or are you getting plentiful moisture? I tell you the beans could use it. The yeah. beans could use some rain. <laughs> yep. I mean, we're not, I don't know. I just know that the beans could use it. We're somewhere, we're getting some rain, not as much as we should be getting. Um, you know, I just know that I was out there yesterday spraying the beans, doing the second shot of Roundup, and uh, I can tell you just around the edges and, and scouting the fields, and uh, I can tell you they need rain. That I do know. They yep. need rain bad. They're all cupped up and the ground's dry underneath of them. Yeah, it's a high demand time right now with with heat, with the development stages that these crops are at. They they certainly need the moisture. I know you were uh, wanted to ask a question too. I don't want to miss that. You're asking a question about the root systems and and uptake of things like carbohydrates. Yeah. What what are you thinking there, John? Okay, so about a month ago, I called in here and I was talking to you, or maybe two months ago, I was talking to you about how I had that. Uh, I kind of I don't know. I just Maybe an idea, I don't know. Maybe a question. But uh, I was sitting there, and it got dry in Maryland, and we were sending the beans down deep. And then my girlfriend had a juicer, and the carrot went in the juicer, and I thought, there ain't no juice in the carrot. And sure enough, there was plenty of juice in the carrot, and I was taking it back. Then I heard you guys talking about cover crops and uh, and how the cover crops are pulling the moisture out of the ground so you can't run them because you guys are dry out there. Then I called back to talk to you about, to Brian about running cover crops, uh, after wheat because you can't run them after corn and so then i got after i got talking to you guys i googled up uh what vegetables have the most moisture and i believe it was beets or turnips and then when i was reading it it showed the nutrition facts right and then it said carbohydrates well anybody unless you've been living on a rock knows ever since for the last 20 years because the atkins diet that carbohydrates you eat sugar, you're going to get fat, right? That's energy. And so, you know, I said, well, if that root's under the ground with moisture and it's got all that carbohydrate, that's sugar. So then I said, well, if, uh, if that root's got sugar in it, and it's essentially what it's doing is it's, you know, it's absorbing sunlight energy, photosynthesis from the, from the sun. Well, not only are you wasting all that humidity out there, by not translocating it to the root, you're also wasting all that sunlight. And my question is, and maybe another plant can, maybe you need to pull the gene out like a, some other companies did. I don't know. But what I'm saying is maybe what you, maybe, and just maybe, my question is this. Can a corn plant take in a carbohydrate and break it down for energy? Because... Essentially, a carbohydrate is stored energy from last year's sunlight and maybe some of this year's sunlight when it falls out. So can a corn plant pull in uh, sugars and use them as, as energy in order to supplement not, not just the sun energy they're getting, but to use the energy from the previous cover crop in order to feed that plant? Yeah, so John, that's a great question. 
I am pretty certain that when they're raising plants hydroponically, there is sugar in that water. Now, there are other things that are going to be in there, too. And so I don't care what the plant is. Could it bring in sugar? I believe so. I'm no plant physiologist or anything, but I believe that it can bring stuff in. But let's put it this way. Cover crops have been used really all over the world forever. I mean, it's just we hear a lot more about it now. But if there was some some cover crop that you could put in the soil and then the next year you could double your corn yield, I can promise you everybody would be doing that. And somebody probably would have figured that out by now. Uh, but Maybe I, you need to create it. Yep. I'm with you. It, it's just the plant's going to need a lot more than that. And there are sugars already in the soil to some degree. And you'll even hear farmers talk about, oh, I added sugar when I sprayed. I added sugar when I uh, planted sure. and in my uh, in-furrow mix. Talk about that all the time. Yep. Darren's always talking about sugar on the corn. Yep. Some, some people do that. We've tried tried a number of different sugars, just haven't been able to get a whole lot of response. Uh, but coming back to, let's say it's something in the ground, whether it's uh, turnip, radish, potato, carrot, whatever it is, I, I mean, we just don't see uh, higher yields planting corn after those cover crops, even when they're left there and not harvested. So we've done turnips and radishes many times on our farm. We don't see any right. any any big advantage or anything like that. So yeah, I, I, I understand how, how why you're thinking about this and how you're thinking about it. It's just, I, I don't know that we've been able to see this translation of, oh, we have all these carbohydrates in the soil and now we have so much more yield because of that. Well, are corn are any corn plants currently being bred to harness that carbohydrate, and do the and do the roots harness that carbohydrate well? Uh, well, I, I that's a I, guess we have to I don't I don't know I think I think honestly, John, the, there are some corn plants that are being raised to make better silage. And there are some corn plants being raised to make more grain. Outside of that, I don't know that they're necessarily looking at what's something then that can extract anything out of the soil better than something else they're only looking at the end product is did it yield more did it produce more tonnage did it produce more nutritious silage that kind of thing they really aren't looking at that i think the guys that are looking at it are some of the microbial product developers that are looking at okay what are these microbes doing what is their relationship in the soil and i think some of those microbial treatments have been probably more effective at making any corn hybrid better than anything that the corn breeders have necessarily doing been doing on it, just because they haven't been focused on it. Right, right, right. I don't know. It's just something off because you know, not only are you wasting that water during that season with that uh, cover crop, you're wasting that sunlight too. You know what I mean? Sure. Well, you gotta you gotta okay. catch whatever you can out there. No doubt about it. We got a limited amount of time. We got a limited amount of sunlight. And you're right. If we can turn all that energy into something good, that, that, that's not a bad thing. Well, I really love y'all's show, and this time of year, I get to be in the planter, the combines, and listen to you guys. So, awesome. Anyway, well, y'all keep uh, You bet. Keep Thank- on, as Joe Dirk would say, keep on keeping on. All right. Thanks, John. Really appreciate it. Uh, let's head uh, out to central South Dakota. Got our friend Lee Lubers on with us right now. Lee, we're talking about drought-proofing your crop, and I saw a social post that you had saying that with uh, 15 or 20 miles difference between locations, the crop quality, the rainfall totals were like day and night. So talk to us about that. You're seeing a lot of variants out there this year? 
Yeah, a lot of variability, but it's amazing what we do have for a wheat crop, for what little moisture we've gotten. Uh, we have some wheat that's only had 260 in rainfall since uh, the late March, and we're actually going to combine a decent crop, which is pretty astounding. And then we can go 15, 20 miles south, where we've gotten around five, and we're going to at least double the yield. So, wow. Wow. Pretty amazing. Yeah. You've figured out how to get by with as little moisture as possible. So talk to us about that. What are, give us like a couple of keys that, that maybe you guys wouldn't think about that you'd say, Hey, this has made a difference for me when I get dry. Good balanced fertility. A good balanced fertility program has, has been a huge advantage for us in addressing even components like uh, boron and our zinc has really helped on drought proofing our crop. Uh, and uh, we don't skip on our fungicides, especially on our winter wheat and our other crops. Uh, we see a difference in that in plant health. The longer we can keep that plant healthy and functioning and thriving during stress periods, we always end up gaining out of it. Yeah, those are big things, and we've, we've talked with a couple of university experts today, too, and they both talked about that balanced fertility approach, and I know we've heard so many uh, of our listeners that have called in and said micronutrients made a huge difference for them in some of these dry years. I know it's been a focus for you and your brother for quite a while. Lee, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. I know we have you on fairly often. I hope we aren't I hope we aren't being too much of a pest for you, but we really do like catching you, especially on issues like drought-proofing your crop. Anytime. Yeah, thank you. Hopefully you catch some more rain. That would be fun. Then uh, then you wouldn't have to try to get by with just two inches for the season. That's, that's pretty tough. All right, we'll talk a little more about drought proofing, and we'll get into some of the Ag PhD mailbag questions right after this. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. 
We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Your soil, your season, your edge. Make the new three-point Soil Warrior Edge from Environmental Tillage Systems your strip tillage system. Because you don't get to choose the condition of your soil, the Soil Warrior Edge is engineered to handle whatever's in your fields. And that same durable engineering goes the extra acre when that's what you have to do. The new Soil Warrior Edge three-point mounted strip till system. Learn more at SoilWarrior.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about drought-proofing your crop. I know as Brandon and I put together the plans for our crop each year, we definitely are thinking about this, that, you know what, there's going to be at least a part of the season that we're a little short of moisture. So we want to keep nutrients available. We want to keep stress down in our crop in every way that we possibly can. And that sets us up to to do the best. And then the other thing, just on a long-term basis, we're trying to build up our organic, our organic matter in our soils and our, our water and nutrient holding abilities out there. And we see it on our fields that we farm for a long time, that we've been working on for a long time. We can just hang on a lot longer without moisture than we can in some of the newer fields where we haven't gotten things up to par yet. Okay, so here are the top things I would say when you want to think about drought-proofing your crop. Number one is drain tile, and I know you're going to go, what? How how can getting rid of water help me drought-proof my crop? I'll give you the example of 2012. Our best yields were right over our tile lines, and here's the reason why. If the water table is too shallow right away in the spring, and I know a lot of people say, well, if it's going to be a drought year, I want to hold on to as much moisture as I can. No, you do not. You don't want to do that. The reason why is because too much moisture kills plant roots, and you need deep roots, and you need them deep as fast as you can possibly get them. So anyway, with tile lines, I'm not suggesting you put them down at five feet or anything like that. On our farm, we run a lot of our tile lines at three feet, two and a half feet, somewhere in that range. So they're pretty shallow. So we're keeping the water table still pretty shallow. So if you were to lower the water table to, in my example, five feet, well, of course, then you're, you're not going to be in as good a shape in a drought year. But we're not lowering it that much. We just want to get our, our water table just below the root zone or the primary root zone, and we're going to be in good shape. The other enormous thing that I would say is you've got to have ample, balanced fertility. We talk about this on the show all the time. If your crop starts starts running short on any one nutrient, it's going to be pulling more water in even if it doesn't need the water. So you're making your crop a water waster when you don't have ample and balanced fertility. And even on our show today, you know, we had talked N, P, and K, N, P, and K, N, P, and K. Well, I'm, I'm glad Lee Lubers brought up micronutrients because we can't forget about micronutrients. We can't forget about sulfur or calcium or magnesium or, I mean, any nutrient can be a yield limiting factor for you on your farm. And when your plant, again, runs short on any nutrient, 
it's going to become a water waster. Don't make your crop a water waster. Darren mentioned organic matter. This is huge. Here's the statistic you need to know. For every 1% increase in soil organic matter, your soil can hold roughly 4% more water. Now, I realize it takes some time to build soil organic matter, but I can promise you in your lifetime of farming, let's call it 30 or 40 years of farming, you absolutely, if you set your mind to it, you absolutely could increase your soil's organic matter by 2%. If you did that, just think about that, all of a sudden your soil has 8% more water holding capacity. Now, that might not sound like a huge deal. But like in our case, we've had 10 inches of total precip, including the snow, in the last 12 months. Do you think it would be important to hold on to an extra 8%? You bet. Do you think it'd be important for the next generation who's going to have your farmland that it's got 2% more organic matter, so it has more water holding capacity and the ability to hold more nutrients and release more nutrients each and every year? Absolutely. This is an enormous thing. So those are our three biggest things we're going to talk to you about. It's tile, ample and balanced fertility, and work on building your soil's organic matter levels. Now with any of these things, are they going to come instantly? Well, I mean, you could change the fertility, I guess, instantly. But uh, tile, yeah, I suppose you could do that too. The organic matter, it's going to take time. And so here, here's the whole thing. You can't change the base material in your soil. So if you've got sand, you're never going to be drought tolerant. That's just the way it is. And you've really got to look hard at irrigation. And there are ways to irrigate using less water. So I'll, I'll just throw that out too. But of course, in a drought year, if you have irrigation, that's awesome. But if whether you do or you don't, it doesn't matter. We want to try to always figure out how do we make things better in the event that we have some drought. Okay, now let's talk about each of these things I just mentioned. Tile, will that hurt you in a wet year? Of course not, that'll help you. Ample and balanced fertility, will that hurt you in a wet year? Of course not. Having more organic matter, is that going to hurt you in a wet year? No way. Your soil becomes more of a, it's more spongy out there. So you actually have fewer issues with compaction when you have more organic matter. So my point is this. These are the three most important steps to drought-proofing your crop, and they're also important steps to help you in a wet year. So I'm just trying to say, I don't care what your situation is. I would look at all of these things. Now, granted, some people may not need tile. If you have pure sand, then of course you don't need tile. But you've got to make sure you have that great drainage all the time so you get the roots deep. You got to have ample and balanced fertility. You want to have more soil organic matter. Those are great things. Now, certainly, we can talk about oh, some varieties are better uh, in terms of drought tolerance. We can also talk about the importance of weed, insect, and disease control. It's way more important in a drought than it is when you're wet. Our dad originally came from Iowa. Uh, before he married our mom, started farming in South Dakota. Uh, she was originally a South Dakota girl, but anyway, here's the point. He said. To Darren and me, I don't know how many times. Boys, you know what? The number one thing I learned coming to South Dakota, where I had way less rainfall, he said, when I was in Iowa, rain corrected my mistakes. He said, here, you've got to really pay attention to everything you're doing because that rain may or may not come. And if it doesn't come, any little mistake you have all of a sudden becomes a big mistake. So again, weed, insect, and disease control, super important. You know, the variety selection thing, I will say a number of years ago, we were all led to believe that there were going to be drought-tolerant hybrids and it was going to change farming and that never panned out at all. 
Uh, I, I will say all these other things that I mentioned, they're super huge. And certainly variety selection is huge. But at this point, there's no specific gene or anything like that in corn or soybeans or any other crop that I know of that you go, well, this will never survive in a drought. And oh, this will be the best corn you've ever had despite the drought or best crop you've ever had. So anyway, Variety selection, super important, and I'd also throw in there seed treatments. There are now a lot of microbial products that can help you when you get to some of these drought-stressed years. Darren and I were just looking at some stuff the other day from one of our research people, walked out into a cornfield with some, some new stuff that we're working with, and uh, measured temperature, and we have a much lower temperature where we're using these microbes. Um, that's a big deal. We're going to find out what the yield impact is here this fall, but we are super optimistic about that. So anyway, lots of things to talk about when it comes to drought-proofing your crop, but let's be honest, um, things would be a lot easier if we could just get a little rain. So we're certainly praying for rain for anybody who's suffering from drought right now. And then the future, if you work on some of these other things, you absolutely can. You'll never drought-proof your crop, but you can make your crop at least a little bit more drought-tolerant, and that, I think, is what we are all after. All right, we talked a lot about nutrients. We got a question here that came in from Gail, who says, We've had nine inches of rain over the last week. How long after that should we wait to test for our best results on how much more nitrogen we may need to apply? Um, I would probably test just about right away. I mean, as soon as that water has moved through the profile, and I don't know how quickly it has moved through the profile. So if you have standing water out there, you got to wait. If your yeah, top if you got foot, nine inches of rain in one shot and most of it ran away... That, that's a different story than if you were bone right. dry and it all soaked in and it came nice and easy over the whole week. Yeah, but I got to be honest, if you were bone dry, like for us, I, honestly, we could take nine inches over a week and we'd be just fine. There would be no standing water, hardly anywhere. It, it would There'd be no problem. So it all depends on your situation. What, what I'm going for, where I'm going with this is if you have excess soil moisture still, so so much soil moisture that there's no air even in the soil, then yes, your nitrate is still getting pushed down. But at some point here, you got to test. You're going to run out of time really fast. Corn most likely is going to be tasseling for you soon. So you're going to have to test pretty darn quick one way or the other. All right. Speaking of tassel, got one from uh, PSO who says, how long after tassel does it take until the corn is made? Well, it takes roughly 60 days. So after we get tassel, it takes about 60 days to get to maturity. And at that point, we're still at 35%, 40% moisture in the corn kernels. So we need that to get down considerably lower. Brandon and I would say, yeah, somewhere around 20% moisture, we'll start harvesting. Others would say, well, if I want to just haul it right to a processor, or right to the elevator, I want to get it down to 15% moisture. So it all depends on what kind of weather you get. Nice, sunny, warm, breezy days. Uh, after that in uh, late September and into October would help us dry it down fast. But about 60 days from tassel until maturity. Thanks for that question. We really appreciate it. Thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.